Namaste. Though we have, uh, though we have used the word current crisis, but if we look at the history of uh, history of the earth, history of creation, we see that it has always been through a series of crises, and at the end of the crisis, something beautiful comes out of that. This is a very beautiful uh, writing of the mother, the supreme discovery. And she says that there never had been a state so precarious when the one light was split into millions and billions of parts. She is obviously referring to the state when that uh, massive light at the material level it has manifested as the nebula and it's you know split into many parts. And then when we look at the end of it, it must have been a, you know, we read it of course very casually as an event, but we can't imagine with number of objects all full of fire and heat flying all around and all in the night and at the end they weave a necklace around the body of the unseen so all crisis is essentially a prelude towards something which is going to come something more beautiful every day this message comes uh, to all of us when we wake up in the morning Often I ask uh, the students that what did you learn today and they think this learning is in school. But the first message of the sun is that however thick the night, it ends in a daybreak. And the denser the night, the closer is the daybreak. So all autumn gives rise to spring and from the most wayside rubbish, water lilies come up, beautiful lilies and out of mud and mire, the lotus blooms. So all over nature it's written everywhere that out of crisis, new creation emerges. And if we look at the whole history of evolution itself, we see that, you know, often I love to give this example of the mudfish, which is a very weird, strange-looking creature, probably as strange given the dimension of the fish as man today, seemingly normally abnormal or abnormally normal, whatever way we put it. And the mudfish is a queer creature, neither of the land nor of the sea. She lives in a little puddle of uh, water, and tries to breathe through the mud and it's all the time thirsty, all the time restless and yet she is the one which presages the evolution up to man and beyond. So when we look at creation, this is the norm actually. It is, it is something which should um, you know, remind us that daybreak is very near. So in the ancient Indian tradition, there is a very interesting story and as we know these stories are all archetypes. So archetypes, story means they take place from age to age. And in the Gita, there is a very cryptic verse describing it. Dharmasya glani, yada yadahi dharmasya glani bhavati bharata. But coming to the story, one such moment is when the gods and the titans come together. And both are needed to churn the great ocean to bring out the nectar of immortality. So they are both happy that we are going to bring out nectar. So how wonderful. <laughs> For a change, the gods and the titans come together because both are needed. Gods represent the side of light and the titans represent the side of force. And they churn and churn and the whole... St- I'm not going into the details of the story that would take the whole hour. And as they churn, lot of things come out. Beautiful things, gifts for the gods, gifts for the titan kings, gifts for the lord himself. And towards the end, just when they are closing in on the nectar and they are all waiting for the labor to be justified and there emerges uh, not nectar but kalkut, halahal. It's the poison and this no ordinary poison. This poison comes in which, can, which starts stifling the gods and the titans. Even they can't bear it. So they leave the effort and start running away helter-skelter. And that's the moment that we have the famous story of Shiva coming and drinking it and stopping the poison in his throat and uh, henceforth he will be known as Nilakant because you know the poison has stained his throat. Then when that is over, we have the emergence of the nectar of immortality and none else but Dhanvantri comes with the nectar of immortality followed by which there is a great fight. The gods and the titans who had come together suddenly end up in a quarrel and a fight And then there is a last test and the last test that is arranged by Lord Vishnu is that he becomes Vishwamohini. I mean he becomes all the lures of the world that one can imagine and 
as he goes around making the titans sit on one side and the gods on another, he starts distributing uh, the nectar. Now, um, he has pot of water in one hand, the other hand there is nectar. And uh, the titans are eyeing the Vishamohini. They, I mean, the story is like this, that though the nectar is there, now they are mesmerized and enamored. So they get water, whereas the gods are eyeing the pot of nectar and they get the nectar. So that's how the story goes. And the story is as recent as today and as futuristic as tomorrow. So it's not one crisis, but a series of crises that come and repeat themselves for this nectar of immortality to emerge. So why does it happen like that? First is that in any, if you look at life, we have a tendency when something new comes in, we, there is a rush of movement, activity, and then after a while, new things are coming up and then we discover or we make a comfort zone for ourselves. That's how we all, you know, grow up like that. So once there is a comfort zone, we are very happy. We don't want to go further because it's so wonderful to be in a comfort zone. We are happy and we are all the time saying, Oh, wonderful is thy grace. O Almighty One, who have blessed me with all these uh, you know, comfort zones of life. And then, when the same grace takes another poise, another form, the mother says there are two aspects of grace. One which is most welcome and is the first thing needed. And that aspect is the aspect of peace. So grace comes to give us that peace, that state of harmony, that state of balance. And we are so happy and regard ourselves as fortunate. But lest we forget to climb, lest we forget to aspire, lest we forget to march forward, the grace comes with another aspect and that aspect is progress. So in Indian thought, it is shown as Shiva dancing the Tandav and Mother Parvati dancing the Lasya. So there is the destruction and the new creation. They go together. In Savitri, it is described very beautifully, a giant dance of Shiva toward the past. Alarm and rumor shook the armored knight. Then he hears as he whirls that fall, the titan's battle cry was in my ears. So when we look at that, all the time we understand that when human beings get into a comfort zone, then the divine comes to wake us up. So that's the wake up call. And how does he wake us up? He first whispered gently into the ears. So beautifully in Savitri again, there is a line, Thus shall the mass transcendent mount his throne. When darkness deepens, strangling the earth's breast and man's corporeal mind is the only lamp, as a thief's in the night shall be the covert tread of one who steps unseen into his house. A voice ill-heard shall speak, the soul obey. Now what is this voice ill-heard shall speak? When we look at every age, there is a moment of crisis. In Indian pantheon, we have the system of four yugas. It's there in other cultures also as gold age, silver age, bronze age and the iron age. So at the end of every age, there is a great war. So when Satyuga ends, there is Parshuram who is destroying all the arrogant Kshatriyas. At the end of Treta, we have the great war between Rama and Ravana. And at the end of uh, the next age, Dwapar age, the silver age, we have the war of the Great War Mahabharata. So during this period, again we see that it's a prosperous civilization. If you look at those days, what a, I mean, tremendous prosperity. Just like Ravana's Lanka, tremendous prosperity, everything. But when outer expansion takes place, there is nothing wrong. It's not that God regards materialism bad or, you know, expansion is bad. Nothing wrong with having splendors of the outer life. But when these splendors of the outer life are not commensurate with the inner growth, that's when the crisis comes. So the two must go together. The inner reaches first and the outer should be an extension. That's the logic of creation. All true creation proceeds from within outward. So we see the bud growing into a flower from within outwards. The seed growing into a tree from below upward. This is the way all creation proceeds. A child learning from basic alphabets and goes up to become a saint, a poet, a hero, a martyr and that's how life uh, you know, evolves. But, but initially those who found a place or who found a civilization, they evolve, actually they grow like that from scratch. But there are those who inherit it 
and that's where the problem comes we inherit something for which we are not yet ready inwardly we are not ready because it tends to be ignored because there is so much of outward everything the inner growth tends to be ignored and because it tends to be ignored a crisis comes to reset the balance so we have this see even in present civilization we all know that suddenly there came an age when the civilization began to develop along certain lines so in the age of the mahabharata we see that shri krishna gives the gita now here again before this crisis that we are facing today pandemic if we look back 100 years back similar spanish flu and before that the great war what was shirobindo doing during that time and that gives us a clue to how we should be during times of crisis when the first world war has started in the thick of the night of civilization shirobindo is he begins savitri in 1916 in a way of course 1893 in baroda earth and beyond but otherwise technically 1960 and 1914 onwards he starts the arya so that's where a voice ill heard shall speak in if we look back at the arya in the life divine shobindo speaks of that that you know the nature of crisis we see today is at its bottom an evolutionary crisis it is calling man to leap to the next level crisis comes to tell us there is something else if we take it at a very elementary level at children level what is a crisis for a child it's an examination or you know at home when parents are not very uh, you know they don't they deny the child but otherwise we see that for a child there is an examination at the end of an year i am talking about the indian system and perhaps most system there is some kind of examination at some level and that examination is not a punishment it's a thing to see how far we are ready to take the challenge of the next class and if we navigate well we go on to the next class so at the larger civilizational level at the world level events come as an examination to see how much we are ready and what are we going to be ready for shirobindo has already foreseen and he has said that there is a beautiful new age dawning but is man ready when we look at series of messages of the mother 1967 she gives a message men countries continents the choice is imperative truth or the abyss so somebody asked the mother what is truth so she said we all become defenders of truth because we define it in narrow dogmatic terms but truth is not a dogma or a narrow creed or a small little sect truth is vast and complex and plastic and it is infinite harmony and delight and it is revealed to those who want to know it so we can't fix truth into a dogma then she was asked that what is the abyss meaning thereby that truth is not cannot be given as a code of conduct for everyone to follow yes that may be necessary at a stage of evolution but that's where subjective age was being talked about that subjective age literally is that we try to discover our own truth and that's why we see that outer forms norms systems institutions are breaking down all institutions are breaking down not just um, uh, you know educational social religious political uh, financial all institutions are breaking down because ultimately the problem with institutions is they are wonderful to preserve a truth but they become counterproductive because they don't allow the freedom to explore beyond the limits and boundaries that are set for them so that's when everything begins to break and this new truth human beings have to fall back upon it or rather fall upon that which alone is and that's how truth unfolds so we see today's age that with this breakdown of several kinds there is a group of people all over the world who are raising these questions who are trying to discover and uh, beautifully many of them are youngsters they want to know religion has gone in the background science itself is proving ineffective to set right the problems that partly it has itself created so today we have discovered we discovered the problem of religion long back huh? but we are discovering the problem of science <laughs> paradoxically we have a virus which we think science has created and look at the irony of it all we with all our evolutionary biology behind us struggle for survival survival of the fittest billions of years to create a mold of man we can't face a virus why because we have probably proceeded along wrong lines instead of developing the body's own resources to take on the challenge of life and the body has countless resources we have developed along feeding it from outside 
and that has damaged us to an extent that now you know we are at the mercy of either the viruses or the vaccines or the drugs or hundred things so this is what the crisis comes to remind us that there is a truth within us awaken to that and the second thing that it comes to remind us is truth or the abyss so the mother was asked what is the abyss you know it it's very beautiful this truth or the abyss when we go around the mountain paths um, in india there you know in the himalayan ranges you have on the one side you have you know sharp climbs almost inaccessible summits and the road will go winding through that and on the other side there are steep descents so that is the path that you know mankind takes in its evolutionary journey it's a beautiful road it's a delightful road it's a dangerous road so that's the way so on the other side there is abyss so the mother was asked what is the abyss she said right now there is a general fear and distrust so she used three words for abyss three or four words but primarily three she said fear first abyss is fear fear is the falsehood fear is the impurity fear is the alley of death whatever we are afraid of we are almost attracting it by the very fact of being afraid now when we look at the last 1 2 years we don't know whether it is the virus who invaded us in the body or it first invaded the mind and took hold of the body it may sound very strange but well fear attracts the feared the animals know it all the people who live in the jungle know that if you are afraid you will attract the animal by the mere smell of fear fear as a smell everything as a smell so fear second is what is the abyss second she says general distrust now we don't dis- we don't trust people who don't wear even a mask <laughs> look at the degree of you know we have entered an age where uh, you know um, uh, discrimination has taken a new dimension altogether sophisticated discrimination there was a time when you know discrimination was done based on whether you are you have leprosy or tuberculosis you have to be sent in exile or put in you know uh, those um, places where sanitoriums now there there is a new kind of discrimination based on a virus which may be present in the system now even apart from that there is so much distrust between countries and countries between different sections of humanity so distrust amongst each other this is the second abyss and the third door to abysses he says selfish interests which includes everything greed for money lust for power so politics financial world drug world everything comes into it and uh, you know it's uh, very well known that all now all these three come together fear general distrust and a complete absorption or thought which is concerned only about my interest selfish interest of course there are beautiful stories when there is a crisis wonderful stories everywhere in the world and they are the real heroes but otherwise in general these three things try to drag man into the abyss so what does it mean actually it means that the crisis comes to see in in olden times when children were taking exams are you ready for the next grade or you want to repeat the class so if you are ready for the next grade we go on to the next grade it doesn't mean that crisis won't come but another kind of crisis comes so even in this virus very interesting those who um, face the challenge of the physical crisis now the crisis takes another form it takes the form of things going on in the mind it takes another form things going on at a larger level so at every time this crisis comes it segregates humanity into two sides one those who are not yet ready because there is fear there is distrust there is too much self interest and so they remain back into this class and other on the other hand those who have faith who have trust in the goodness of mankind who have trust in destiny who have trust in god leading us and those who do not live only for their selfish interest after all when the mother spoke of superman she says one thing about superman will be that it will be impossible for the superman to live for his own selfish interest it will be impossible he just can't conceive it and i'm sure 50 years down the line if maybe 50 years or 100 years but i i believe it will be 50 years down the line when our own children will look back children or grandchildren they will look at us and say what kind of selfish people they were 
when the solution is so simple what kind of people cowardly people they were how crude their methods how crude their instruments take it as a prophecy if you like they look back because through subjectivism we will enter into that age so this is the nature of the crisis where there is on one side those who are full of fear distrust and selfish interest thinking that this is going to preserve this not going to preserve us for long we all know that you know the ostrich closes its eyes and becomes blind to the danger but it gets collapsed so where is the danger danger is not the virus danger is fear i mean virus is there <laughs> but the real danger which is looming over us is fear and distrust even if we destroy the virus which of course i'm sure we would do it the masks are off but how do we remove the inner masks and when until we do it the virus will only change its strain it will come in new patterns new forms because the real problem is not the virus the real problem is all the forces that stand opposed to human evolution and they find ways and means now if we look at every challenge not as if you know i am so helpless and god has punished me or this system that system but pure and simple what a challenge really is it is merely to bring out our greatest strength that's what a challenge is we start blaming governments to be blamed this to be blamed that person always there is somebody to be blamed those who believe in god blame god somebody will blame people blame themselves or they will blame somebody else you know we are we have mastered the art of blaming people <laughs> but it's not about blaming anyone it's not about complaining and blaming doesn't help it's very simple i have a challenge before me how do i navigate through it and i am reminded of a very beautiful maori legend so maori legend is that when a boy grows into adulthood people don't ask him how old are you you are 18 okay good you are an adult by definition <laughs> one may be 80 and yet not an adult and uh, you know one may be 18 and one may be already very old you know so in maori these tribes in australia so uh, old tribes so they make the uh, their young one whatever age he, he comes of age so they tell him that you know you have to be one night in a jungle where lions will be there and he is probably given a lathi to protect himself probably and that's very simple but he's blindfolded so you have to use all your grit and determination and courage and faith and patience to go through that night if you go through that night you are an adult if you don't go through that night then we have the message of the sphinx sure been the beautifully reminds us repeatedly this what a crisis ultimately questions when the goddess of religion is going into the background and science is in the ascendance this is from a poem a vision of science then the goddess of religion in the passing tells science thou thinkest term and end for thee is not but lest thou forget though thy proud pride is great but thou hast forgot the sphinx that waits for thee by the beside the way all questions thou mayest answer but one day her questions shall await thee that you must reply for they who cannot die she slays them and their mangled bodies lie upon the highways of eternity what is the question she asks therefore if thou wouldst live answer first this one thing who art thou in this dungeon laboring so we know the story of the sphinx paucity of time i won't go get into that but essentially this is the question that a crisis asks us who am i who are you now if we say i am a two legged worm please forgive me for all my sins of being man who cannot handle himself against a little challenge who starts shivering with fear then the sphinx says you better you know <laughs> mangled bodies lie upon the highways of eternity you come back again so what happens death it's a and the soul's opportunity to come back but when we stand on these two feet and say i am a god wearing a human experience human mask who am i shivoham shivoham 
Aham Brahmasmi, I am the divine himself. When we lead life with this kind of inner, not just a conviction or a thought, but a fact of experience or a fact of faith. These are the only two things that open the doors of knowledge for man. In between is intellect with all its mazes. Either the fact of faith which shows us is a light that there is something within me. There is an intuition that there is a Godhead within which we need to discover. Everything may refute it. Doesn't matter. I feel, I believe, I trust there is within us a hidden divine presence and I must find it. Fact of faith. To somebody else it may not be a fact, but the person who has this faith and this certitude knows and he proceeds along those lines and finds his faith more than justified. Or the fact of experience. Actually, faith must translate into living experience. It's not about a belief system. That's where all the processes of yoga come in. So yoga is not just about warding off diseases by doing some exercises, breathing techniques and physical exercises. So I may have my robust health and <laughs> then I'll take all the pharmaceuticals of the Ayurveda. That's all right. That's good. Nothing wrong with that. But yoga reminds us that I am not just this struggling half called man. I am the fullness of God. Yoga is to unite. And when I am the fullness of God, then what can dare me? You know, there is a very nice little thing as a child I had read and that had, um, you know, this was so full of josh that it filled me with so much energy and enthusiasm. Swami Ramtirth saying. So he said, afraid of what? Of elements? Dare them. Of animals? Thou art man. Of Destiny of fate of gods Say I am God The day mankind wakes up to this supreme truth That he dwells within us We are not alone All the time we carry this wonderful divine presence within We don't know it As mother says so beautifully That me and my lord are one And he dwelt within my heart and I knew him not this is the discovery that the virus is pushing us. I remember a story where somebody, you know, came to Pondicherry and this person was very distraught, came to consult me and said, Sir, I have one problem. So what is the problem? So this person divulged that, you know, whenever I am out of Pondicherry, I am chased by ghosts. So I said, and what happens when you come to Pondicherry? He says, I, the moment I enter Pondicherry, they just vanish. So, I am not narrating it as a miracle story, but <laughs> I said, some people can carry their ghosts even in Pondicherry. But I said, you know, these ghosts are very nice, whatever you may say, that they have dri driven you all the way to Pondicherry. So, if ghosts can help us to turn towards God, well, they have done a good job. So, all this crisis, it comes to remind us to turn within and look and find the source of the light, source of creation. It is within us. It's logic. It doesn't need religion to tell us. It doesn't need spirituality. The source has to be one. And it has to be there in the atoms, the galaxies, the sun, the stars, the worm, the ape, the bird, the bees, the flowers, the trees, the snake that bites and the herbs that heal and man. Can it be otherwise? It's logic. Source is in everything. So what's unique about man? Man is given the unique privilege of discovering and uniting with it. That's what yoga means. So all this happens in our life is there to show us the imperfection of life, imperfection of our bodily state, so that we can strive towards a greater perfection by taking the challenge of life. And to take the challenge of life, we should beautifully, as Shurabindo says, he says, that within our bodies is the billion bodied one. Almighty powers are shut in nature's cells. This is not a exaggeration. It's not romanticism. It's a fact. Almighty powers. And logically we can see the first cell. Today we call it virus or even before the virus. When even a cell is not formed. Hasn't that creature evolved into man? He is our ancestor. He is the ancestor of all biological beings. Look at the irony of it all. Shubhinder describes the whole world of viruses in uh, book 2. The prokaryotes as the biologists will tell it even before the cell wall is formed. Isn't that little genetic code contained within itself the programming for man? So if that be so, would it stop with man? No. The virus has chased that up to this point. 
and now it is no more just the virus which we talk about. It's the virus in the computer, it's the virus in the human head, it's the virus in the heart who plays the spoil sport, the virus in the head that plants doubts, the virus in the heart which plants despair, selfishness, the virus in life which makes us turn upon ourselves into a state of narrowness, into fear. And this virus is chasing us to complete the journey. It begins with him, but does not end with him. It will end with man discovering God within. So that's what the mother said in a series of messages. I spoke of one message. She said, it is the hour of God. I don't remember the year, probably 64 or 65. And then she said, next year, are you ready? So she's asking us, are we ready? Then came men, countries, continent, the choice is imperative, truth or the abyss. Then she says the future of the earth depends upon a change of consciousness. And the change is bound to come. Look at the power of those words. How does she know change is bound to come? She knows it because she is the change. She knows it because she has worked out the change within her own body. Within her own cells, she has awakened the Supreme Sachidananda. So she knows what it is. So she says, the future of the earth depends upon a change of consciousness and the change is bound to come. But it is left to men to decide whether they will collaborate with the change or the change is thrust upon them by the power of crashing circumstances 50 years back 50 years back we are living half a century we are commemorating that message and then even during that time in 1972 26th November almost toward the end of you know her physical leela she says something very interesting in response to a sadhika asking her a question. I see falsehood all around. And she says, before rising, falsehood rises to its ut- before dying, falsehood rises to its utmost swing. So what is the remedy? She speaks about truth being the remedy. The remedy we'll speak of tomorrow. But for the moment, it's important to understand that behind the crisis of outer events, that is the ancient conflict of the gods and the titans wrestling within the human heart. Who are the titans? We have we see the abyss which is drawing us. The lust for power, the greed for money, self-interest, fear, distrust. This is the abyss. And if we live by that and live for it, the viruses are always around the corner, nuclear wars around the corner, various kind of global catastrophes around the corner. But there is the other choice we can make and we should make and it is a change of consciousness by turning to the divine within and uniting with the divine within. Nothing less is worthy of man. Nothing else is worthy of us. We are born to be one with God. This is the ancient saying as ancient as the Isha Upanishad. A voice ill heard shall speak, the soul obey. We don't hear it. So again and again we have to go through Yada Yada Hi Glani Bhavati Bharata I'll translate it, but my own way of translation, not literally Sanskrit. So what is this dharma siglani? Dharma is for each age. There is a way of life which helps us open to the truth. That is dharma, what will lead us upward. Dharma Shetri, Kuru Shetri, the actions, the deeds, the will, the thought, the way of life, which will lead us towards truth and light and goodness and infinity and love and unity and harmony. But there is another way of life which pulls it down. So our dharma is all that contradicts it, baffles it, confuses us, misleads us, takes us away from the path of unity towards more and more divisions, 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 divisions. So when that happens... The divine appears. So this is a marvelous statement. This we are not left alone. You know, we have this idea that we are going to solve a big problem. Actually, we are the problem. So 
we have to solve the problem by transcending our humanness if we remain human we may sit and have hundreds of discussions we will not solve the problem because we are the problem Pro- solution come by going one step further mudfish is the problem she can't problems solve the problem with the land creature or this sea creature it must grow into a tadpole and a turtle that's the solution when the snake runs very swiftly and wants to gather speed but it cannot it must grow to wings and fly into the air it will be a clumsy creature at first the archaeopteryx but one day it will be the beautiful bird within the snake the bird is there which must emerge and when the bird cannot span beyond the limit of the sky then god clips its wings but gives it a tremendous vitality of the beast running in the savannas and the forest what a vitality birds don't have that it can fly very nice creature soft beautiful but you need strength of the titans and when the beast cannot cross a certain barriers then he takes away that vitality and endows it with intelligence of man and this intelligence of man takes within itself the capacity of the whale and a whale is a mammal but takes the capacity of the fish and can dive much deeper it takes within itself the capacity of the snake and can run much faster of course through ways and means it takes within itself the capacity of the bird and crosses distant horizons onto galaxies it takes within itself the vitality of the beast and knows how to tame the beast and how to turn the forest into a magnificent palace but man still is a transitional being and he too needs to be overpassed so the creature who is going to come must take within itself the all the goodness of man all the aspiration of man all the anguish of man all is seeking for beauty and love and truth and goodness and take it to the next level and disclose the divinity within man out of the animal man we must rise towards the divine man who is our future so i think i'll pause here so that we can have questions is it all right yes <laughs> yeah so so uh, it's about the first step of uh, let me slightly reframe it the first step towards self discovery so uh, we can proceed through self analysis and self observation but our capacity for analyzing and our capacity for observation are necessarily limited we observe a very limited range of physical events activities motives even there are hidden motives we cannot but certainly to become conscious of what's going on within is no doubt the first step so how do we become conscious because the instruments are limited and very rightly that we may discover things which are very disconcerting well we have to go through that process of cleaning the mud it is disconcerting when we scratch behind the surface we discover what the great uh, mystic saint said that when i went out to discover what is bad in the world i discovered that i am the one who is carrying everything within me there is not a single sin of the world which doesn't exist within me but that's a very uh, tiring way that's not the way recommended normally by the mystics so what is the way recommended at any given point of this time whether we look within or whether we look outside we need not only go within it just that it is easy to go within but we can proceed by looking deep into the world into the nature of the world and we'll discover god we'll discover the same truth is, because the truth is everywhere in a piece of mud in a little lump of clay we can discover god if we so what is needed is the aspiration to discover what we want to discover the mother says very beautifully do not concentrate on what you do not want to be so the don't is there do not concentrate on what you want to leave behind on what you do not want to be for example do not concentrate on how to get rid of fear so what do we concentrate on concentrate on what you want to be i want to be full of faith concentrate on faith i want to be full of peace concentrate on peace i want to get rid of agitation so what people do i want to get rid of agitation i can't so there are methods and techniques to get rid of agitation it doesn't work like that i mean at some point it will work but it works much better what will somebody tell you 
do this technique, it will bring peace. It amounts to the same thing. When we are doing the same activity with a negative motive, it's a very, very difficult path because at every step we are chained by that which we want to leave. It will take a thousand forms and come. But if we are doing the same activity with a positive motive, here I am using positive negative in a very widest possible sense. I want to get rid of agitation. You see, I have seen people who have done all the right things according to the tick box checklist of being healthy and had a heart attack at the age of 50, 60. And one of them came and asked me, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't uh, uh, eat meat, I am a vegetarian and uh, I take uh, so much you know, exercise every day. Everything I do, I sleep in time, wake up in time. Why did I have a heart attack? So I asked him only one question, why did you do all these things? He said, so that I don't fall ill. I said, that's where the problem lies. When we do something that I don't fall ill. <laughs> See, I'll give you an example from the mythological story where Harinakashup does everything. I don't die, I don't die. So he says, this way I will not die, that way I will not die, neither morning nor night, nor with a weapon, nor with a, you know, Astra Shastra, nor with a man, nor a monkey or a god. Nobody can kill me. So God says, okay, you are too much obsessed with killing and dying. But I assure you that none of these conditions will be valid as far as you are concerned for killing you. And yet death comes. On the other hand, the contrast is this little boy Prahlad. He is not obsessed with dying. He is obsessed with immortality. He is obsessed with Hari. All that he does, his life is saying, Oh, the one, the one, the one. Hari, 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 Hari. Oh, the splendor of the divine who dwells within this body, within bird and beast and plant and animal and stone. And he is the one who discovers immortality. So we, our concentration when we go within self-discovery, we must be clear what is it that we want to discover. That's where faith comes in. So one way of proceeding is the way of the Buddha. We presume nothing. We dig and dig and analyze and observe. That's okay, fine. We'll end up discovering. Um, now I don't want to get into anathvad and all that. But Buddha was out to discover the permanent behind this world of changing appearances. Which is alright. If we go analyzing to discover the permanent, it's fine. But then we will discard the world because everything is ever on a shifting ground. But this shifting ground is to discover something beautiful. This is a great event. So whereas everything is changing. But much simpler way. Instead of doing that, there, there is within us, you know, either there is a faith. There is a faith that there is a permanent reality. Or why not we say that there is a faith where that there is not just a permanent reality which is impersonal, universal, which cannot help me. I will have to scale the peak like Mission Impossible hero trying to climb a, you know, <laughs> a cliff. I don't know how he manages it. Probably planted there by some helicopter and the shot is taken. But that that reality can reach out to me and hold a hand. That's what precisely in the Gita, Shri Krishna says, both ways men reach to me. So when we go by our personal effort of purely analyzing, observing and by our own methods and techniques, we'll go, pa we'll go eventually because ultimately the aspiration and sincerity will count. But it is pantha duratya, difficult path. Whereas if we go with this idea, with this luminous faith, that in this journey, it is the divine who is as eager to meet me. In fact, if I seek him, it means he has given me already a call. Because something within me has heard the flute, I am love maddened to meet Krishna and join his dance. So if we proceed that way, the path is much easier. So one is the path of tapasya through self-analysis, discernment, through various means and techniques, not going into that. The other path is the path primarily of surrender. There also effort is required, but we depend not so much on our own effort, but on the grace of the Lord, the divine grace. And it is that which makes the impossible possible. Yes, that's in a nutshell the answer. Okay. I suppose first we understand these three parts. Physical is the vehicle. Vital is the energy. And mental is the compass. So look at it. All these three may go wrong. Mental fear is that our mind thinks. Mental is related to thought. So we think that there is a virus. And therefore 
I am afraid. I am giving the example of the pandemic. It could take many forms. What is the vital fear? Even when the mind is free of that, we must have seen that the vital tends to feel. It feels. It feels. It senses something. It senses as if something is right round near the neck or near the belly. It rises from the belly and starts taking hold of us. And the physical is even when we have eliminated it. The body cells are vibrating in the mode of fear. Very difficult to actually sense physical fear unless we are attacked by it. Very rarely people can become conscious of the physical fear because we are not uh, you know, conscious in the body. So I can give you an example from... Uh, something which I had experienced uh, and that uh, puts it uh, in picture. So, uh, I wanted to learn sea swimming. So, um, intellectually, I got myself free of the fear. What is it? I know how to float. I know the you know basic steps of swimming in a swimming pool. So, I can manage sea swimming. So, I have learned intellectually what is to be done. Keep afloat. The person told me keep the head up. I said, okay, done. So, mental fear is gone. The moment I entered into the sea, Bay of Bengal and the waves started hitting me. Trust me, for the first time I felt the enormity of the scene. It was not my comfortable swimming pool. It was a space where one false step and I could be washed away. So I experienced vital fear. I said, okay, doesn't matter. This has to be offered. Equanimity, peace, trust, all that was done. So now next step is that I have to... Leave. So I thought, oh, very nice. Abandon myself to the waves and I'll, something will happen. The next moment, I was inside the sea with the wave above me. Oh, I was looking for the ground. I was looking for the sky. I was looking for everything just for a gasp of breath. And I discovered what physical fear is. Where right then and there, your very bodily existence is under threat. So intellectual fear is at the level of thought. Vital fear is something which is sensed and physical fear is concretely like a vibration within the cells. And one can feel it when there is an illness which comes. So there are people who mentally remove it. But some people can feel a suggestion when somebody says, Are you looking okay, Dr. Pandey? You look a little pale. Is everything okay? That's a mental fear. You take the suggestion, Is it okay? Should I get my blood tested? <laughs> That's mental fear. Then... Sometimes you start feeling a kind of slight, you know, shivering uneasiness that probably something is amiss, something is wrong. And you feel that probably an illness is approaching, something not quite right is approaching us. You can even smell it and all these things. That is the vital fear. Fear which grips us at the core of life. Is it something sinister? Is it something dangerous? And then it grips the body and the body throws up a kind of tremor inside at first. We know that it's not well. So that takes hold of the body. So these are the three levels of fear that we can encounter. So while physical fear is very difficult to uproot, unless one has done steadily uh, physical education, physical culture, then one can eliminate it. But mental fear is very easy. We can catch hold of thought and throw it out. Vital fear, relatively easier. Every time it comes, offer it to the divine because we become conscious of it. Physical fear, we don't become easily conscious. And then to bring in the force of peace, quietude, right into the very cells. And if we do it every day, to bring peace, equanimity, quietude, right into the cells of the body, through all these layers of a being, then even the physical fear can be uprooted. So what really is conflict always between two forces, the forces of progress or forces of ascending evolution and the other is the forces of retrogression or forces that hold us back. Now, because it's not possible for man to leap from one creation to the final, so he has to rest his feet on stages, steps. So we have in Indian pantheon, Brahma who releases creation. But this creation will not straight away fly towards its destined uh, uh, you know, goal of delight. It will stabilize at one space, fish or reptile or etc. etc. The Dashavatar story. So who comes next is Vishnu. He is the great preserver. So behind preserving us on one step or stage, it must be consolidated. That consolidation process is where the smile of the preserver comes in. And then, when we have to go to the next step, now Shiva comes in. He does the Tandav and breaks it. Now, the moment it 
the breakage starts, there is a problem. So, very often we'll see that Shiva and Vishnu coming in conflict with each other. Strange kind of conflicts. But that's because the old must go. But because we have been habituated for mil- million, millenniums, not million of years, millenniums to a way of life. And that was also needed to stabilize the face. If we don't stabilize it, Say, there was a stage when people worshipped their gods outside. Even gave them a beating in certain religions. Gods were given a good beating if they didn't listen. Now, at least people believed in God. Then came a phase when these gods wore animal shapes. But they believed in God. Then these gods were demolished. Then there were more psychological conceptions of God. Then even these gods go and become aspects of the one supreme. But naturally, when we transit from one to another... The past holds, it doesn't give way easily because after all that has still now ruled over our consciousness. So yes, if there is too much of plasticity in the consciousness, we can go without conflict. Possibly. So in the Gita, you have in the um, uh, Srimad Bhagavat, you have these two paths. One is the path without conflict. And what is that path? We have the path of the gop and gopis who just surrender themselves without a thought. They know Krishna is the avatar and they give themselves, they don't ask him. Everybody out there in bridge and everybody, they say they are mad. Say we are ready to be called mad, it's fine. That you know, they are doing everything against the norms of the society. They are doing strange things. They are running midnight. They, they wake up and I don't know these creatures, what they are doing. They are going to, you know, Yamuna and they are dancing. I don't know, they have gone mad. Now, this is not suggested that we should dance. But the story is symbolic. That the divine calls and we rush. We don't question. We are full of faith. We are full of love and surrender. But not all are ready for that. There are the Pandavas, mighty and majestic. Who for all their goodness still believe in themselves and there are the Kauravas who resist. So the conflict is required. So both approaches are possible if we can completely have that unquestioning faith. But it's a grace, bhakti, love, surrender to the divine. Then we don't need to go through conflict. There will be conflict but he will handle it. We will only look at him and he'll be carrying us in his arms and we won't see that there is a Mahabharata going out there. (laughs) But he is handling it. But since we cannot have that, particularly because we are mentalized beings and the mind has known to progress through questionings and questionings and arguments and discussions and debates. So it has to proceed through conflict. So both paths are valid. But blessed are they who take a leap towards the future. Blessed are they who are endowed with faith. Blessed are they in whom the seed of bhakti has taken roots. Blessed are they who can just follow the divine without questioning him. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's true. Because, see, normally what happens in our life, our thoughts concentrate on the work at hand. So, based on the work at hand, we automatically are focused on that. What happens when work is not there? You know what happens on a dining table, gossip table? The discussion starts with, uh, you know, what happened in your house in the morning breakfast. It ends up, by the time it reaches the 10th person, it ends up with the politics in a country and there is already two groups which are at quarrel with each other. Because it's very difficult to train the mind. That's why one of the elementary practices of concentration is focus on the work at hand. Be it simply putting a nail through a wall. It's not a very good thing to do that. But whatever work it be, a work of hand, just focus on that. It's a wonderful training to learn to concentrate. Now, by its nature, the mind is all the time scattered, mind, vital, everything is discursive by its nature. It's diffusing all around. Why? Because it's driven by the steeds of the senses. So wherever the senses See, we are like, you know, WhatsApp is open all the time inside. So suddenly we are at ting and we go and click. Another ping. So we look at it. Are, it's okay, give it time and we will do it. But all the time we are acting like living WhatsApp systems. Okay, so this is the nature of the mind that it, on the surface, it is discursive. So the Gita describes it as Bahu Shakha Naam, the intellect, which is all the time running from here to there. So what is to be done? Vyavasaitmak. So it has to learn to focus. 
So how do we start? The moment we try to focus inside, we see that all this nature of the mind, it's the very nature of the mind, it comes to the surface. Because that's its nature. As Swami Vivekananda described, it's like a monkey on top of a pole, flagpole, and the flagpole is on a raw on a boat, and the boat is on a very turbulent waters of an ocean. So mind is that monkey sitting on top of that. <laughs> so it's the nature of the mind because it's driven by the steed of the senses. So the first practice is in the in yogic parlance, it's called as pratyahar. And Sri Krishna gives that example and is there in Patanjali Yoga Sutra also of gathering all the threads of the consciousness. Mother uses the word uh, threads of consciousness, the most accurate description. Because pratyahar is in terms of, you know, um, calling within like a turtle, it doesn't go with the actual experience. All the threads of consciousness which are outside, they have to be gathered inside. So very beautifully, so the horses must be driven by the, the, the mind must pull the, uh, you know, the reins. So the uh, Sri describes in Savitri, in, in moments when the inner lamps are lit and life's cherished guests are left outside. So how do we do that? Now we do it by teaching the mind and training the mind to focus on an object, an image, an idea, a sound, or all of these things which represent what we want to realize. If we just want to focus inside, just in the vague on some abstract divin- divinity, it is next to impossible. Some people can do it. Formless, infinite, abstract, divine, very difficult. That's why we have to have a representative image, sound. So the image could be a more a wide image like a flower or a fire or the sun or the sea, but a simpler image is well, the divine presence, the guru, the god, the deity. And string of words like sounds. It could be a universal mantra like Om or a more than universal mantra which anybody can spontaneously accept and which every child learns to say when the child is born. A child is initiated into this mantra and that mantra is simply Ma. So we all know that, you know, babies when they come out, Mama, Ma, something like that, they say it's a mantra in which we are initiated little babies. So with the help of a mantra, with the help of an image, when we concentrate and focus, slowly the thoughts begin to fall away. It is difficult in the beginning because the mind will be driven by the senses. And also we must try to, uh, you know, this engrossing interest in objects of the senses that we all the time carry. Every little image we want to see, all the time on the television screens, screen time as it is called. So what happens is that the entire energy is scattered, it becomes even more difficult. And if the objects on which the senses concentrate are very crude and gross, then it becomes even more difficult. So that's why it's a package. The package is a refined diet, refined music, refined taste, tendencies, learning to focus inside even when there is nothing or even when there is work, it's a whole lifestyle. Nishkam karma is a way of life, not a kind of one moment practice. So when we do this, remember and offer is a way of life. Then it becomes very easy to focus the thoughts and bring them onto the object of concentration. Otherwise, it's the nature of mind to be discursive. Yes. First of all, I must uh, uh, congr- congratulate the person who gave this image. So the mother speaks of this image of that the age of truth will dawn and the image is when the serpent bites its own tail and she speaks of the shadow. Now why falsehood becomes more and more intense because it's the last resistance. It's like the last bit of the last leg of the fight. You know when a person starts a marathon race or any race, in the beginning he goes, it's wonderful. But the last 10 minutes or 5 minutes are very crucial. A swimmer, it's towards the end that you feel fatigued when you are very near the shore. So it's absolutely true. uh, But I won't really call it, uh, there are two kinds of twilight. We can use the word twilight zone. One is the twilight of the um, ideal world. You know, the dream twilight of the ideal as Savitri speaks. The other is the twilight of the earthly real. So these two twilights are when, one is when the night is changing into uh, day and the other is when the day is falling towards night. But here, Shurbindu and mother has made it a very, very unique thing. 
it's the day is not changing into night the day and the light are entering into the night to pluck out the booty of the day it is something which has never been done i made an assignation with the night in the abyss was fixed our rendezvous carrying in my breast god's deathless light i came her dark and dangerous heart to woo so here what they have done and that's the mystery of 5th december also and to an extent of 17th november that normally the twilight zone is something which you know if we compare with the ages kalyuga ends and yes rightly at the end of kalyuga satyuga starts and this satyuga is higher than the previous satyuga but again there is a decline and there is the kalyuga and then again there is the next satyuga like spiral but each spiral uh, the ascending point of the spiral is higher than the previous one but this time what they have done they have change of plans god's original plan entering the night with the light which means cleaving through the night and changing it into the daybreak of the god so it's uh, uh, i i and that's what is there in savitri when savitri goes right after in that very canto the dream uh, the, the twilight of the earthly real where is death slain or transformed right where its stronghold is into its very den that's where it takes savitri that look here nothing works everything fails and that's where savitri enters and changes things so uh, it is um, uh, it is where truth is entering into the den of falsehood with the idea of transforming it so it's not the old battle where falsehood is one side truth is one side the representative and falsehood loses but its roots remain where they are so after every age we see in every age the upholder of dharma truth comes and you know falsehood is defeated those who stood for it are slain that's why the mother said that hitler's defeat is not the defeat of falsehood it is necessary to open the way but it will take other forms instead of seeding one hitler it will seed countless others so now this is about transformation which means transforming night into the outbreak of the god so no more twilights but only ascension from day to greater day that's why savitri ends with the supreme consummation and the eternal day so that's the little difference uh, truth entered into falsehood yeah no we were talking about truth entering falsehood and then again bringing out the eternal day <laughs> so if you want we can close here or whatever way you want uh, yeah <laughs> okay yeah yeah i'm 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 fine with one more question maybe we can take that as a last yeah i am overwhelmed with the questions so just give me a moment just remember her as ma 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 this is the simplest way there was a yogi well known yogi here baba ramkrishna das he was from odisha very simple man of very simple bearings and yet he arrived at such wonderful realizations experiences and realizations on the path of yoga and when he would be asked that what we should do in this yoga to progress and he used to say only two things one was patichakra that means study circle if we try to apply it to individuals it means individual study but he spoke of collective study because it creates a it's like a satsang it creates a atmosphere and the second thing he used to say is naam japa that just remember the mother call her name and if you look at shurbindo's letters there is one small letter of shubindo naam jap has a great power in it so if you ask of one single technique and method and the mother herself says this in the agenda when she is asked repeatedly by satprem that tell me a method there should be one method give me one method and then she says about that one method as the mantra the name and even if you look at savitri and the name foundation of eternity a prayer upon their lips and the great name so one method is simply and i think i did hint at that is just calling her ma 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 in the heart doesn't matter what language amma mother it doesn't matter she knows all languages but to call her in a heart and 
know that we are her eternal portions her children and all are her children it's not that we are some elite group of her children all are her children this whole creation is her child and to live with that state that all creation is nothing but her creation her child and she is there in everything and we are all the time sheltered in her arms so the more we live with this state this state of faith this state of constant calling of the mother calling upon the mother with every difficulty mother with every happiness mother every joy mother thank you you gave this joy with every sorrow thank you ma gratitude you have you are making me progress life death this event that circumstance in every state all that we need to do is ma 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 in the heart i think we can close with this